Hey there, perfect peeps. Have you ever wanted to come on to a podcast and talk about what you've been working on? Or do you have a product to show off? We would love to have you on perfect.dev. Please reach out. You can find us on codingcat.dev or just reach out to me personally, alex at codingcat.dev. I'm really looking forward to some new stories, uh, whether it's in Flutter, in Vue, in Angular, or if you just have a new product that you've created. I'd love to hear about it. Anything in, in the web development space is wonderful. But if you have a mobile app, uh, a Flutter app, come say hello. Don't be afraid. We'd love to have you on. Thanks so much. Welcome back, Perfect Peeps, to Perfect.dev. Today, we have on the podcast a group from OST. Let's throw them up here. Look at this wonderful group I brought together. Yes, design time. So excited. Um, Would you mind going around and introducing yourselves? All right. Hey, I'm Elizabeth. I've been at OST for about two years, almost two years now. I started as an intern um, and now I'm working full time. Um, I have a background in collaborative design and industrial design. So working with um, with a product design background. Uh, so the UX space is pretty new for me, but it's really fun. Um, and yeah, I'm just learning every day. I think that's uh, how I feel as a designer. I just uh, roll with the punches. Very cool. That's yeah. super fun, uh, especially so new to it. Yeah. Zoe, you want to go next? Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, good afternoon, good morning. Hello, I'm Zoe, Zoe Wilson, and I've been at OST for about three years, two or three years, and my background is more uh, visual design, but in the past couple of years, I've definitely shifted into more of the research and experience space. Uh, so started really interested in service design, which led me to OST, where I've kind of taken on the user research um, UX position. Um, and there's, I feel like I'm constantly learning and growing here. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to kind of join in this dialogue today. Very cool. Thanks. I really appreciate having you both. And uh, finally, we have Christy. <laughs> Hi, I'm Christy Ennis-Plute. I um, am a design practice kind of manager over here at OST and um, been working here quite a long time, but my background's actually in industrial design. So I've been like Elizabeth too, I, I sit really close towards um, connected products or what we call um, connected solutions too. So I uh, really enjoy it. Um, and I love the variety of what we all get to do and touch every day. So, yeah. Very cool. And before I forget with me as always, Brittany Postma. Hi. So just to kind of um, get everyone on one screen here, which is always fun. We haven't, we haven't had this many people in a while. Um, so what we're going to talk about today is basically design for developers, which I think is a very exciting subject. It's probably, I hope, more on the design side, but um, I think it's it's a challenge from a, a developer standpoint that we always get like thrown this thing in Figma or whatever software. And it's like, how do, how do I figure this out? And designers are usually actually the ones kind of in the forefront and working with the, the customers. So it's really exciting to have your viewpoints and like how you got into design and how like I work with you every day and also how you work with others. So um, I hopefully uh, can guide this as, as best as I can. Mm -hmm some questions carved out for this session and I'm excited to get started. So first up, 
Um, it was actually a question for Christy, so I'm going to throw that one up here. Christy, um, you have an industrial design background, so how did you find your way into UX? Well, um, it, and it's so interesting when you compare, again, all of our backgrounds. Um, and we call this often out there, um, UX designers are kind of that Swiss cheese of designers. So you just don't know, like everybody's going to have their different backgrounds. And so there'll be pockets of stuff. Some people know and pockets that we don't. <laughs> so, cause we all come to it from different places, but um, I actually found out about it's, it's funny when I first looked it up, what I wanted to do, I was torn between graphic design and industrial design, just product design back then. Um, and when I did my study abroad is when I got my first exposure. Cause basically um, most of the projects that were going on out there were all um, digital products. And it was like my first exposure to like Siemens and uh, their, they were calling their first, you know, next generation mobile phone. Um, but seeing how they were already doing user testing over there and they were just starting master's programs. And in the UK, they even had a UX program already. And I'm like, damn, United States, we got to get better at this thing. <laughs> so it was kind of my eye opening bit to see that there is more. There's so much more out there. Um, but it just happened to be where we were at. We didn't have the exposure to that or programs ready to support it. So that's Very how cool. I found it. Yeah. And then I, I believe so, Elizabeth. You you have kind of a formal background um, coming out of college, correct? Um, yeah. And into the design world, can you talk a little bit like what that transition was like and how you ended up there? Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, I have no formal UX background, um, <laughs> but going through four year degree program, um, you know, I got the basics down of design and and design thinking and in that process. Um, and I think being able to explore in a college space safely uh, really helped during the transition from a more physical product side to a UX side. Um, and I also do research research on our team, which I did in the in the physical product space. So it all transfers. It just depends on what material you're working with. Um, but I think that transition um, really needed a lot of self exploring. Um, it was a lot of self-taught YouTube videos, late night reading, um, courses online. So you just have to have a go, go get them attitude and, and mm -hmm. learn on your own. Very cool. And then Zoe, you have kind of a totally different viewpoint coming into this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, as someone that doesn't have a formal degree, as someone that has sort of a um, Frankenstein path of education, I can attest to what Elizabeth was talking about, about having uh, a source of self-motivation to really propel yourself into your your craft, into the community and et cetera. Um, so my background is I started off doing graphic design. I did like a two-year program. Um, in, in high school that was like a, a trade school. And I was really interested in doing graphic design and I started doing freelance and I did that for about five years. And I think doing freelance was really, uh, it was beneficial because you learn to talk about your your skill and most of all you work, you learn about working with people. And from there, I just kind of deep dived into uh, the community through like AIGA events and different local events where I could plug into the design community. And I think uh, that was 
extremely, I mean, I would, I would recommend for anyone that's sort of getting started um, to connect as much as possible with, uh, with different mentors, community groups, meetups, et cetera, um, because that's really where you can meet people that can influence your career in beneficial ways um, and, and learn from others and grow. So uh, being a part of different events was, I would say, how I got in my foot in the door and a lot of different career opportunities and ultimately uh, where I learned that I wanted to transition into UX from a graphic design background. That's very cool. Did you did you find any like pushback or was it difficult to transition into an actual a job coming out of that type of setup? Like it's really good to get in the community and like if you love this stuff and do it on the side, um, it's pretty exciting to be part of that. But to actually transition that into a job and like where's your CV and all those questions, um, what, what did that look like without that kind of formal uh, background? Yeah, you know, I think it it's it may I think it's more difficult in theory, and I think a lot of people overemphasize the importance of a degree. When I think there's a lot of value in having a well-crafted portfolio, being able to talk about yourself and your skills, having a drive to learn and grow, and also just having great soft people skills. Uh, and I think that employers often recognize. Uh, those latter skills as being something as a foundational base and, you know, something like UX where you can kind of acquire those, uh, you know, whether it be um, different tools or software, et cetera, those types of skills can be grown over time. But having a foundation, um, I mean, Christy, obviously you had hired me, so maybe you can speak to that. But I think that there's something to be said. And I think sometimes maybe it's a bit more in your head around the importance of a degree um, when I think having a source of um, motivation and drive and um, ability to work with others is can be um, more important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before we jump back to like how how Christy saw that from her side, um, Brittany, I know you have um, it's a graphic design degree, correct? From um, Intercontinental. Yeah, um, I I took two years, so I just did two years of online graphic design and um, just kind of transitioned over the years into more like the UI UX side, and then more into the front end side in the last couple of years, where I like to do more of the coding now than the design. And so I like that I found my way. And I, I also had like the two years of graphic design, but then a lot of self-learning. So I feel like, especially after 2020, we've got so far to come in remote learning in people self-learning. And I think that if employers will just start switching their mindset from, oh, we need this four-year degree. We need this exact, we need five years of this experience, even though it's only been out for three years, like that kind of thing. <laughs> if we switch our mindset and we open our minds, like you get more people skills, like she said, like Zoe said, um, you just get more of the essential skills that you need in a job. So mm-hmm. Very cool. Christy, can you, can you talk a little bit about like hiring to that? Yeah. That an easy aspect to do. I know on the development side, like we struggle with it. People that come out of boot camps can be amazing, mm-hmm. but how do you challenge that with someone with a master's degree like me? Like those are two totally different things, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I want to say at the core, I, I just want to be clear, like it's an attitude and aptitude sort of thing that you want to see that somebody has the ability and it doesn't mean that they've like, maybe they just haven't had the opportunity yet. And, but you want to see that they they're in the right place, their heads there. Um, but I think about like, there's also, sometimes it's hard, uh, like on the job, we can't catch up with all the foundational stuff, but 
So they got to have that willingness to like, like you can see their drive that they're willing to go learn, they're willing to dig in. Um, but I've said sometimes, so we've got somebody in our group too, that's got like an English background or someone else that came from seminary school. And I'm like, you, how, what, like, how do they get here? You know, but it's, um, you know, it's present in their work and how they like, you can see it applied, but there's some things about critical thinking that's just at their core. Um, that that's something I can't force teach, you know, like there's, there's some skill sets that have to come there. So. Very yeah. cool. So uh, I guess um, maybe Elizabeth, you would have this one best, but um, what are, what are some of those resources and tools that you didn't have in school that you had to pick up after school? You know what? I think I had all the resources in school. I I just was so distracted by my four year degree that I wasn't I didn't give myself the time and space and energy to put towards, you know, my what I would consider at that time, my side interests that now are, you know, a part of me. And I think it's. I think it's about stepping out of your um, like typical four-year degree of everyone's on the same track and figuring out what matters to you and how you can stand out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it started off free resources like you, YouTube, literally any book I could get my hands on, any free event um, that I could go to and, and talk to anyone, designers, non-designers, anyone who inspired me, just ask so many questions. Um, it's just all about figuring out what you like and what you don't like and, and what you're good at and what you can, uh, we can build towards. Very but YouTube cool. is a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Everything's on there Lots for free. free resources. Yep. <laughs> um, so like Zoe, I know you did a lot of um, kind of self-learning and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, YouTube is one aspect of it, but was there a, kind of a specific place that you went to, to, like find out and know that you could become a UX designer? Yeah, yeah. So in Grand Rapids, there's a place called The Factory, which offers uh, long, it's about six month courses. And when I had heard about that and offered and heard about what they were offering, I was really interested. So they had a course on both UX and modern web. So I, I did both actually, because I figured if I was interested in becoming a UX designer, I would have to have some knowledge of modern web. And I think that really helped me understand um, some of the constraints and language that I would need to know as a UX designer. Um, and so that was a great uh, local base where I could learn with people in the community. And aside from that, there was uh, there's sites uh, like lynda.com, um, Skillshare I've used quite a bit. And there's some different um, like boot camps that are online now as well. So there's, there's multiple platforms. And I think it's um, a matter of finding something that resonates and works well with you and not something that you might pay a monthly fee but never use instead um, something that you're actually going to utilize and get excited about, excited about. That was really important for me. And the ones that I, uh, stuck with it, it, you could really, um, have a bit more interaction because that's what worked well for me. Very cool. Um, so some of the, the questions that we did beforehand, I, I dove into community because I, that's all I ever want to build. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, a web development community, but, in that sense, I also want designers in my my community because, like, that's the other half for me, or like that's the full picture when we wrap it in. Um, how do you start to go about like creating those communities on on your side? I know, Christy, you're you're a big proponent of community, so yeah, 
And I, I would, I mean, I'm just as interested to hear from Elizabeth and Zoe, like where are they finding their communities? But yeah. I, I would say like, for me, I, I keep thinking about the, the old formal ways of how there's all these um, associations and groups like that used to be the way that everybody found their communities. Cause um, it was just uh, like a means of funding and how people did it. But I feel like that's like 20 years ago that that was totally a norm. But now I don't know. I'm not sure that that's the route because uh, I feel like, it's, it's been more about the will, but people will still find sponsors and find a way to like keep feeding it and making it happen. But um, we've got, even in this community, sorry, I'm going to go a little deep, but we've got, um, we've got people that have seen this importance and seen burnout happen to those organizers that try and pull it together, that they've actually found or set up some legal means to how you can spin this up really quickly. And I'm like, thank God there's people that have seen this burnout, seen this repeated loop happen and been able to stand up some things to get some of these communities together. Um, but I, I personally find a lot of feed for me of my like past international experience. I kind of seek some of those people out because it's part of what I still need. So um, for me, IXCA um, has still been a big one uh, and they're even having their interaction conference right now. So there will probably be videos coming out to consume kind of their latest content. Um, yeah. And they're broadcasting it across internationally across the world right now. Um, and then uh, ladies that UX was really the core for us too. And that was started by a couple ladies that were in the UK, but they're one of them now works for Jira um, was in Australia. So it's like, I love that sort of effect of how you can get, um, see like, get out of what we know here in the United States even, and kind of think about the world impact on that. So. Yeah. I think 2020 almost made that a little easier for yeah. us too because everything i'm in like uh, we just did a podcast and i was like oh by the way your headquarters are like over on that side of the world and they're like we're in transylvania i'm like what what like, i had no idea so i, yeah. I think it's really like helped to foster that um kind of yeah. that community across uh across oceans across yeah. whatever barriers that are out there yeah. um and one of the one of the difficult things on community that i've always found so like when we talk about meetups um, and creating those, mm -hmm. the difficult part at a meetup is often you have, at least in the developer world, maybe you guys can speak to this on the design side, there's a lot of introverted people and they do not want to be physically <laughs> at a meetup. And it's really difficult to get them to like come on and present or anything like that. And yeah. so it's been really nice in 2020 to see kind of that growth and and us being able to like foster them to at least just join and listen. And even if they're typing back to us, like that's just better mm -hmm. interaction. And so we're really trying to encourage that, um, especially on like coding cats, discord and stuff like that. I completely agree. Um, I, I know that when we, when we kind of talked for the, the prep for this podcast, um, there's a lot of mentioning and Christy and I were both like, so what, where do you find your communities? Where do you hang out? And she's like, oh no, throw, throw that over to Elizabeth and Zoe, please. Um, so I'm kind of curious. I, I think we talked a little bit about uh, Instagram. Is, is that kind of the go-to for designers right now? I, I think that Instagram is one outlet. It's one channel and it's really, uh, something that can uh, foster that exposure to connect with your tribe because you have such an immediate visual connect, uh, at least for designers when you're sharing your work. Um, 
so I think that social media and, and even, you know, uh, like Twitter as well, where you can engage in a dialogue and also overhear strong voices in the community uh, that really connect with you and your values or your work. So I would say social media at large is whether you're engaging directly with that person or just following them and following that the work that they're doing and following um, kind of what they have to say to the world um, is, is definitely a way to, to engage in community, even if it does feel like you're more in the bleachers to what they're doing. Anything to add to that, Elizabeth? Yeah, I think Instagram is a, is a really good foot in the door. I've found a lot of success um, with that, following the people that inspire me and getting in, into the communities uh, through social media, but then stepping into places like Slack or Reddit communities, or I mean, Alex, you were just mentioning Discord, places where you can be a fly on the wall if, if you don't feel comfortable joining that conversation. Um, or you can connect with people one-on-one and say, hey, I want to learn more. Like you said something that really piqued my interest and I need to know more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just taking that step out of your comfort zone and really reaching out to people who inspire you because they probably want to connect with you too. Nice. Yeah. I, I think uh, something to add to is um, aside from when we're all working remote, there's a lot of value in connecting in communities during those meetups that have a, a shared goal, a drive to mm-hmm. accomplish something. So um, Alex and, I think you're familiar with Code for Good or Give Camp. Um, and those kind of uh, two to three day events, or even if it's just a day or a long workshop, but a, an event where you're engaging with others to have a set accomplished goal. So the conversation comes naturally. It doesn't um, necessarily force anyone to uh, uh, just kind of stand aside because you're really engaging in the work to help uh, nonprofits. And mm-hmm. I think... Uh, events that work especially for social good uh, those have been the events where I've had the most long-lasting networking connections um, that have led to the most valuable uh, opportunities and experiences I've had so I'm always proponent of that Uh, for design there's a few more like uh, global service design jam um, and ladies of UX is actually how I I met Christy and so (laughs) Those type of events you can find and um, it feels like the conversation and the dialogue comes quite a bit. Uh, it, it comes more naturally because you're really working together to accomplish something. Yeah, the, the only aspect that I, I really don't like about the, the 2020 flip is the hallway conversations, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you can have an aspect of that. Um, and I, I would imagine you probably ran into Christy and, and that's how you kind of started to foster that communication. Um, but that's the piece when I go to a conference, it's always like, oh, I loved your talk. Can we talk more? And, and like that continues that conversation. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the, uh, the conferences that are online right now, they, they don't necessarily allow for that. It's kind of like, okay, we're done. And like, it just shuts the door and we don't have lunch together and, yeah. and those sort of things. So I really hope as we kind of keep fostering this, cause I think in 2021, it's, it's still going to be a thing. We're going to have to, to be remote. And um, I think if we can start to create those type of conferences and say, Hey, we'll just, we'll all eat lunch on a discord voice channel and like, let's talk and stuff like that. Yeah. 
That's what I was going to say. I think that's where Discord excels at a little bit is that it's almost like Slack, but Slack is more for employers where you get invited mm-hmm. into a space. But with Discord, it's community. So you can share your links. People can join your community and you can be, as you said, uh, Elizabeth, where you don't talk. We call them lurkers, like people who just <laughs> lurk in the channels and see. Um, I grew my business over the last year. I met Alex on Discord. I've gotten several clients off of Discord, um, just helping other people grew my knowledge of coding, like just by talking with them and helping them through problems. So I feel like Discord is one of my favorite ways to build communities now. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, go ahead. No, you're fine. Go. I was just going to say, I think as we move forward and younger people's you know, start to get into the design and development communities, remote working and um, and communication is going to happen more and more. It's going to be more natural. I think we're going to build more spaces like Discord that feel like you are sitting around a table, you know, having lunch together versus mm-hmm. professional. And so I think that's coming. And I think people want that. So it's all about creating those spaces yeah. for those conversations. Very cool. Um, so, uh, we, we kind of hinted around a, a Slack invite only type of approach, something that I haven't got to experience cause I haven't gotten an invite yet, but, um, t- tell me why clubhouse is so popular right now. <laughs> I know Zoe, you're in it, right? Exclusivity, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, clubhouse is sort of in their beta testing. They're in their testing environment. So it's, it's limited right now. I do imagine that it's going to open up to the broader community shortly here, but, um, it's, it, it's, I would compare it to discord or Slack in the way that you can listen in on, on conversations without speaking up. So, um, if I were to pull up the app, you could follow probably some of your, um, work or career influencers and, listen into the private conversations that they may have with, uh, with another leader in the, in the industry. And so um, there's a, an incredible variety of talks, um, anything from um, maybe hobbyist crafters to development, to design, to um, sustainability. The, the genres when you're making your profile are ex- like almost limitless. It, it feels like you can really get into your niche um, and just having those on similar to like a podcast, but knowing that they're live, knowing that the conversation is happening and it's kind of unedited, that it's raw, um, really makes you feel like you're kind of there, that you're, uh, that you're sort of a front row seat to the conversations. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I hope I get an invite one of these days. And I'll check it out. <laughs> it, is it still only iOS? Is that uh, only? That's a great question. I don't okay. know. That's, that's fair. I, I think it might be. Probably. But. I'll have to dig out an old iPhone seven or something. <laughs> um, so, okay. Like this is, this is all probably at the like meta ish level. Let's, let's dive into something that I'm, I'm sure everyone that's a designer that's trying to get into the website of things wants to know. And that's like, what tools are you using and what tools should you learn? Um, I'm going to start with Elizabeth because I think you mentioned in, in college courses it's still kind of an Adobe world. Is that correct? Yeah. If you take any basic design degree, two year, four year, you'll probably get your hands into Illustrator, Photoshop, InDesign. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm just going to, 
Let me throw my, my screen on here a second. And you, you make me think, I'm like, oh my God, the things that I learned in school, like half of them don't exist or even one <laughs> exist anymore even, you know? And you know what? They change so, so fast. And I think that was um, one of the things it was kind of, it is scary. It changes really fast, but it's kind of comforting to know that things will change in a year or two. So if you um, don't know a tool, you'll be able to, you can pick it up fast. Yeah. Right. And it'll probably shift. So just be flexible. Well, that's good advice. Flexible, yeah. especially uh front end design, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, yeah uh, sorry, just to build on what she had said, in addition to Adobe, uh, more tools that foster um, collaboration mm -hmm. and kind of live mm -hmm. team usage, like, Figma is is really becoming yeah. a primary tool in the industry. Um, I would say Sketch is another one that feels more like a standard, but um, Sketch uses uh, tools like Zeppelin to monitor um, the, the saving and um, version control, sorry. So I think there's a drive to push towards um, more multiple, like collaborative sites like uh, Figma and Miro is another sort of a whiteboard tool that um, I'm not sure how much exposure, uh, say, somebody in, in college is getting, but are definitely um, kind of staples in, in our field, in the work environment. Yeah, so I, I kind of flipped through them while we were talking there. Um, one of the biggest features, and I think you touched on it, um, is kind of the, the collaboration piece. So mm -hmm. often like, um, I, I just get pinged and it's like, Brittany's just oh, like, check this out. And so she'll throw just like this little thing. Yeah. See, she's yeah. out there right now. She's always on. Figma. <laughs> um, and what's, what's fantastic, I think about Figma or any other of the others that we mentioned that have this collaboration feature as a developer, I can go back and say, oh, that is not going to be, that's mm -hmm. not going to work. Or like our design system does not have that component that would take so much longer. Could we do it this way? And so <laughs> it's super sweet to like go back and forth collaborating on those mm -hmm. things with your designer. And I feel like it allows you to still have that team mentality. We used to sit on a whiteboard and like scribble this stuff out as we were thinking through it. And now we can almost do it in real time to a point where um, if, if we were working on like this component, uh, yeah. it could go into the prototyping mode and look like a website and we yeah. can show that to a client. So yeah. it's, it's kind of come a long ways, but I guess in that same context and what I'd love to hear from, from you all, from, from any experience you might have, what we get into often with being more structured and in application, it takes away some of that creativity. So how have you guys been working through? Like we used to have whiteboards and we used to have sticky notes. Like how are you dealing with that today? I, I gotta tell you, I haven't moved from some old school stuff, but I've really admired how some of the team has really adapted some other tools. So I'll, I'll quick show you my own sheet. I do this sort of thing where I will just literally have a quick handy whiteboard available so I can hold it up or I sketch stuff all the time and try and hold up my sketchbook because unfortunately my whiteboard is fixed to a wall and to me it's too far away from the camera. I'm like, it's a problem. Yeah, I have that <laughs> so, same issue. Mine's, mine's right here. Off, yeah. Off over here. But... So I'm like, I know Elizabeth and Zoe have really adapted to this, but I, I also have seen a lot of the team do really well with like integrating their iPads to actually use sketching features in there. So I don't know if you guys yeah. want to speak to that. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think um, the whiteboard space is great if you can do it. Um, I think the paper sketching is great if you can do it, but iPad makes sense. Um, being able to in real time show, you know, your team or a client what you're thinking through um, versus just jumping right into Figma. I think the bringing them through that process really allows for questions and revisions um, in real time. Mm-hmm. Saves a lot of time. Is it you, you find you're more you... creative with like a, a liquid, uh, I'll call it liquid format, um, where where you're able to put like pen or pencil to paper and like you see something, I can draw mm-hmm. it and then I'll get back to it and make it a vector later. Is that kind of how yep. you guys work a lot of time? 100%. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not coming from a design background, and I, I absolutely I sold my iPad to Zoe because I'm like <laughs> I, I'm not good enough at this. Um, Figma and other tools that are like vector based. I'm like, sweet, I can make stuff on this. But for a designer, I'm always curious: yeah. is that is that limiting limiting you? Do you do you always kind of work that out in your mind, or sometimes it's like, no, I I know about what I'm going to do, so I'm going to throw that directly in Figma verse. No, I need some creative, like I got to sketch all day long. What's, what's that look like for a designer? Yeah. I, <laughs> sorry. Um, I, for me, anytime I jump to a digital landscape, there's a, uh, there's a minor, there's a cognitive disconnect. And so the more mm-hmm. that I have Sharpies and sticky notes and a pad of paper and a notebook, I do that before even grabbing. Yes. Oops. Got some connection issues. Sounds like she likes to work with a pad of paper. She does. Anyone else? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. You first, Elizabeth. Go ahead. I I just absolutely echo what Zoe is saying. I always start with pen and paper first and then move to, um, I know, Brittany, you mentioned Procreate. Um, Miro is great, too. Anything that still looks messy. Um, I think there's a lot of benefit in staying in that messy space until you and, and the entire team is ready to move into something like Figma um, because it is easy to, to, you know, get those pixels perfect and, and everything. But being in that creative open space first is, is, in my opinion, more important to kind of nail it down before you move into something more final. Yeah, I've actually seen Brittany get stuck on this. Like, you're like, oh, that doesn't look right. Oh, and like, it's a way like, completely mind shift right that cognitive piece you're like uh i gotta get in perfection mode now instead of just fluid mode and it's weird but i mean i do the same thing and i wanted to wait till the end but that's okay i I, because i do a lot of stuff from very beginning to the actual front end work i try i start with pen and paper too and the more you sketch out the better basis and foundation you have going into figma to know like is this going to work better and if I don't do that, if I take a step out, I, I realize it right away because I'm like, yeah. oh, crap, because now I'm like moving stuff and I'm like, this doesn't work. And sometimes you do sketch it out and then you put it in there and I'm like, oh, this doesn't look as good as I thought it would. But I do the same thing where I just start with pen and paper. I move to Figma and then I, I do take a step out of it. I try not to prototype because I'm going to do the code. It's faster for me to just take that step out and I throw yeah. that just straight into the code. I, I want to throw in even like, Another side of this too is I just caught myself even last night. I had to, I'm trying to move from this sketch that I have on here. And I was like, I gotta, I gotta get it somewhere else so I can um, democratize this a bit more and get it out to people and share my ideas. But I realized like, oh, this might be why it wasn't working is somebody did go too high fidelity on something that was even just a 
abstract, like strategic concept of like, what if we did these things? And um, it already felt like it was too fleshed out. So I had to back it out like a wireframe of like, and it needs to look sketchy because I really haven't solved this yet. And I'm not married to it. You know, I, I'm just throwing out ideas. <laughs> so yeah, we, we talked a lot about like wireframes the other day and just how locked in that concept can become. And it's like, no, 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 this is just, this is just a thought pattern. Like yeah. stop getting locked. What the actual visual looks like right now. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tough to go through that. Mm-hmm. It's about um, those connections that you make that like make yeah. the site flow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. Yeah. T- so I don't know how much experience we all have, but uh, I just want to hear some thoughts around um, mobile development. So, and what I, what I mean by that, whether it's on web and it's just reactive or not, you still have different thoughts that go into it, right? Like mm-hmm. you're touching the phone, you have to zoom on it. Uh, can you talk through, and I know Christy, you love like the physical device world. Can you talk through like what, what that is like mentally to start to shift to? Well, and I've, I've had a lot of, I think it's always fascinating when you think about um, some points you can talk about native first right, or like native sort of idea, like the things that you actually want to use that are on that device that you can't engage with if it was a web products right um but also like what is really necessary i I try to elevate to to, like what's really necessary at that moment in that context of like somebody walking around with their phone versus like being stuck to a laptop in a seat you know um like that mobility changes quite a bit of what really makes sense put in front of somebody at that time so do you find that's a, a big shift or is just kind of something you're aware of as you're designing for it? Yeah. And it's especially because like we, I don't want to create more work for developers either to like have to recreate like several different things for like one experience, you know? So I'm like, how can we repurpose? How can we be smart about all the ways that we're going to use this? Um, so what is that? They call it like, um, I feel Mobile like this is yeah, well, mobile first, but I, yeah, it's that like graceful, de- is it graceful degradation or it's like that um, something enhancement. Does anybody know what that is? But, like progressive enhancement. That's oh, the word. Yep. So it's that like, what way, what method do we want to take? Where does this make sense for us? You know, and, and just trying to make sure we're being smart because like maybe, maybe all this stuff we have on it in a web experience, like actually it's irrelevant when you're in a mobile experience, but um and that's okay, you know? And so we'll just present more when they're in a different space than where we're at here, you know? I'm but excited I, for us to get to the point to where it doesn't matter yeah. what device you're on. Like a website can be a web yeah. app and yes. it should be designed from the mobile standpoint yes. to where it grows to the desktop size and doesn't yeah. need to fit one specific thing. Well, and with all these device sizes out there, I'm like, oh my God, you got to think about all this. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> You cannot, it's crazy how many are out there and you can't fit for every device. No, no, no. We, we try to get up front with clients and be like, we got to focus guys. Like this is where you're going to target, but we're going to try for everything in between, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. so I guess along those lines are similar to that. Not, not necessarily the physical world. Often a, a development uh, person that we're working with or like a company has already decided we're working with material design, we're iOS, mm-hmm. uh, uh, mm-hmm. there isn't really a framework, but, or we're Ionic. Like yeah. how can you still be creative or still execute well as a, a designer or a UXer when you have kind of that framework constraint you're living through? I'm like, 
I have opinions, but I'd love to hear from Elizabeth and Zoe to yeah. like, where do your heads go? Even because I'm like, I, we, we, we don't. Got Zoe back. Maybe we should go. Yeah. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that having those constraints in place are, are actually really helpful and actually can be really liberating. Um, and I think that there is a lot of room for creativity. Um, and, and sometimes it just, it, you have to consider, you have to take those constraints into consideration, but um, understand what is going to be best for the user in with that interaction um, and how, and how it might need to be responsive. So um I think about, um, Alex, I know we worked about an interactive infographic, right? And that definitely was something that um, the client hadn't asked for, but we saw a an opportunity through our creative problem solving, and that was going to be the best way to kind of engage with their users. So I think sometimes it's thinking outside of, of what's um, what maybe the, the project asks for um, and thinking about what is the problem at hand and how can you solve it more creatively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was almost even just UX style of thought and in, involved in that. It was how are they actually going to interact mm-hmm. with this thing yeah. and not just like, oh, it's a cool design, right? Yep, exactly. Good memory. I, I forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah. That's where I think we, uh, we as a team at OST really benefit from having designers and developers at the table at the same time talking about those constraints and, mm-hmm. and the risks that we have to take and what we want to try out and explore. Having those conversations really early and often um, is super helpful and I think can allow for creativity where, where it's fit. Yeah, I love I love sitting down with a client and saying we can make this amazing thing if you give us six months, and they're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we can make this with material design if you give exactly. it two months. Okay. Yep. <laughs> That's always a tough discussion. But I think I think you call it the, the good thing where I'm like, it, to me, those constraints turn it into a UX problem more so than a UI problem. You know, mm-hmm. so like that part's solved, or at least we're gonna run with the most of that. So. But I, I find that the hardest space is the UX side of the space of like, how can we make this best experience possible? And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I should probably, I'll, I'll probably put this in in the front of the podcast, but just for folks who are listening, they're like, what is UI UX? Why do they keep talking about mm-hmm. it? So user interface and user experience is what that means. And uh, often you'll hear DX too for us, which is developer experience. So I don't know if you guys have something on on the that side version designer. Maybe DX for designers is design experience. I don't know. You got a new term. <laughs> so some of the the last things that I want to kind of dive into. Um, so so we talked a lot about like communities and where you can get started um, on that side, but where do people go for like inspiration or where can you go to start like freelancing and and getting work so that you can get some of this experience? Um, I'd love to talk about like dribble first. Anyone want to chat about that a minute? I'll see if I can Google it really quickly. I'm not good at talking about dribble. I actually don't go on that much. Yeah. I, I use dribble quite a bit and it is a great source of inspiration and it's, it's a great place for, um, design agencies or freelance designers, et cetera, to really show off their work. And mm-hmm. what's what's interesting about Dribble is uh, you can kind of yeah, obviously hard it and you can filter um, and you can filter by different um, uh, components like 
color if you were interested in a branding around uh, around that. Um, and there's a lot of you know animation. You see branding, illustration, mobile print, product design, typography. There's a huge variety. Um, so yeah, there's it's it's definitely like an eye candy. It's a great uh, kind of break that I often will just go to find different inspiration and see um, whether it's it's what's trending or really what's working and what's um, kind of making an impact. So Dribble is it's uh, it's a great place. It's similar to Behance, but you do have to be um, you used to have to be invited. I think now it looks like it's uh, you may have to pay a fee to kind of be a part of it. But um, yeah, Behance but is another. Yeah, you can still view everything. I think in order to have a platform to showcase your work, you have to be a, a member. Um, I think Dribble is one of the best when you're looking for different pieces because you can search literally anything on there. You can search com- any kind of component mm-hmm. that you want. You yeah. can search animations or gestures or like there's everything. So Dribble yeah. and Behance are two of the ones. And then awards. I don't see awards on our list. A-W-W-W. Yeah, awards. that's another great one. Yeah, awards is really great for looking at uh, award-winning websites. And Mm -hmm. um, you can also, it has a pretty good filtration system. And they do, like, uh, I think it's site of the day, uh, week, uh, site of the week, site of the month, site of the year. So Mm -hmm. you really kind of get these stacks of um, really well-done, engaging websites. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that I've engaged some people before on Dribble um, for for work, and never really panned out for me from a like the customer side of that. Um, and then there's there's sites like Fiverr that you can go on to as well. Um, have have any of you like actually gotten work through any of these sites at this point? Yeah, but it's hard to get started on those. I feel like you have to have someone who wants to do your work and you place bids. So you like put your work out there and you have to spend time making a bid and then you put your bid in the pot with like 20 to 50 other people. And it's it's very hard. I mean, there's ways that you can filter it and look for jobs that maybe only accept 10 or 20 bids and that might help you. But it's hard and it drives down the cost is some of the problems with those sites. So, yeah, yeah. I have yeah. a feeling that probably internationally outside of the U S where, um, cost of living is a lot lower you're probably getting mm-hmm. a lot more out of it from there. Exactly. Um, yeah. is there any other, uh, sites that, you know, someone, someone's all done with school or they're looking for a career change that you would recommend to like go actually get started in this, uh, to find work? Uh, I would, I mean, so 99designs is another platform where it's, it's similar in the sense where you might, you might limit the amount that you can make because it's sort of contest driven. Um, And when I was starting out and kind of looking for a job, but also doing freelance, 99designs was a great way where I could find projects that were specific to what I was good at. Um, And so there's like, illustration projects, branding, logo, and you can really, um, there's like different packages. And as a designer, I would um, look at these, if you were, if you, let's say you had, you were looking for a logo and you would put in what you were looking for and 
kind of what you would be willing to pay for it. Um, but the costs are because they're part of packages. It's not going to be like Fiverr where it's like $5 for a logo. It's going to be about um, between two and $1,200 for a logo, depending on what you're willing to pay. So um, then as a designer, I can see that you're looking for that. And um, what I think was, has worked for me is I've won these contests and continued to work with clients. Um, and that's been a, another really great remote working resource. So um, because I've been doing it for long, a, a while, I have a profile that um, people can reach out to me and ask for designs as well. So I think it's kind of hit or miss with those sites on what you're willing to invest your time and effort in. Um, but I think as far as kind of job hunting, um, if you're looking for something a little bit long, more, more long-term, those are going to they may be less sustainable if you're looking for kind of a full-time gig. Mm-hmm. So is, is, would, would that be the equivalent to like a developer's GitHub? Cause whenever I'm mentoring developers, it's like, you have to have stuff out there. We need to see your work. Um, is that, is that kind of in that realm or is there a better way to say, here is my portfolio online? Should you create a site? Should you work with a developer to create a portfolio site? What's that look like? Yeah, Elizabeth, maybe you can speak to this too, because um, I know like your portfolio site was really um, well crafted around your um, experience with projects, and it's mm-hmm. I think for designers, it's a lot around the process of your work. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly, and I think having a site is really important. It's all about talking about your process. I mean, everyone likes to show off the final designs and and in the beautiful end product, but if you can explain. Um, how how you went through the different steps, who you were collaborating with, right. where you failed, where you tried again. Um, that makes a, a big difference. And I think, I mean, you can start to build an online portfolio, you can build a website, but I think even before that, like really starting off as, as a younger designer, you have to take chances. It's all about mm-hmm. who you know and selling yourself, selling your skill set. Um, and then when you know like I said earlier about your passions and who you're connected with in your community, you'll find people who need a side design thing and then you can work for them and it benefits both of you. I think yeah. that's how a lot of people get started is mm-hmm. in non-design spaces um, and doing little design work for them. I, I want to just tag that Elizabeth's dead on. Um, when I do a lot of interviews, reviews, I mean, I, I, don't care that they made their own site, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I mean, because for us, it's not the development side of it, right? So I'm like, use Squarespace, use whatever that works for you. PDFs even are just fine. But um, I do want to like, yeah, it, it kills me when I see that, yeah, their site isn't responsive either that I was like, oh, dang it. Like, but yeah. um, but that's where I'm like, there, there's so many tools out there for you already that you can leverage that takes care of a lot of that. And people can test it themselves, you know? And so I'm like, I... I feel like there's just so much that um, is pretty accessible and available to people to be able to address that. So um, yeah, from students to people experienced out there, I'm like, uh, that's where we look is in those areas. So Very it's all cool. about telling your story. It's not yeah. about the, it's not about the beautiful site. Yeah. How are you communicating your story and your process? Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's that time. I, I think we're going to have to have a whole nother podcast because there's so much more to dive in here. But 
I think it's time to do our perfect picks. So I have Christie's up first. Let's see if we can uh, do this right-ish. Yeah. There we go. So your first pick, you want to talk about essentialism? Yeah, it's this one and the other one I picked. They both have kind of a similar take. Um, if anybody that knows me and works with me right now, you'll know I'm a very busy person. And it's so many things I've, as even this essentialism bit, uh, book starts to lay out, it's like once you get into these areas uh, and you start to develop your expertise, you start to find um, people going to you, right? And asking you questions, asking for your time. And it becomes that um, paradox of choice. When you have so many choices, how do you stop saying yes to many things, you know, um, and finding the right things? Or like, where is your time important? So both of these are really about having, um, I kind of think they, they really help you appreciate the time you get. And while we've all had way too much time at home lately, <laughs> like uh, it seems like these wouldn't be the thing, but it also feels like how do we integrate back into this new world and make sure we reserve or preserve that space, you know, for reflecting and thinking um, and don't get caught up in the busyness of daily life. So, um, Very cool. Great yeah. picks. Yeah. I so that's good. Choices. I need those. <laughs> they're, they're deep. They're hard. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm going to bring up Zoe's next. Yeah. I don't uh, want to do this right. There we go. The Design Better podcast is by Envision, and they have, um, more recently, they've had a variety of celebrities, everything you see from John Cleese to um, the writer, what is his name? If you scroll down, you'll probably see him. Um, Oh, I'm at a loss for words, but you'll see a lot of uh, variety there, and they just talk about how design really applies to the real world and um, how... um, how different creative leaders are leveraging the creative process um, to communicate and, and to grow their business or to grow their trade. Um, Seth Godin, God, Godin, that's Godin. He's the, he's the writer I was referring to. So there's a huge variety. And I think that there's, um, there's something to listen to for everyone there. Very cool. And then your next one is Headspace. Yeah, this is another app. Uh, really great for taking time to reflect. Uh, it's a meditation app um, uh, that, that has a really profound mobile experience. And I think even if you're not interested in meditating, you'll find that the app has a great experience. And there's everything from um, different series of meditation to some mindful music that is going to be your lo-fi beats that really help me to get into kind of a creative mood or uh, just kind of help me to, to get work done throughout the day. I'm just going to throw out here too. Um, uh, when before the podcast, we were talking just how awesome their design is at Headspace as well. So we might have to break that down in another pod one of these days. Um, let's see here, Elizabeth. You have squat. Yeah, we were just talking about this um, internally recently, um, and I also added uh, Ryan Singer's Shape Up. I yeah. think both of those have started to really make me reflect on how we work as teams, as designers and developers sitting next to each other. Um, and also really reflecting on the trust that our companies and our clients put in our teams to work. Um, and how do we properly communicate our thoughts back? So I think both of those, both squads, which I know is 
not totally released yet. I think there's maybe another screening soon and then you can get shape up online for free. It's just a book, both, both great um, listens. I, I think there are some challenging concepts in there that don't work for all teams, but I, I think it's an interesting perspective. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing book. I'm working my yeah. way through it as well. Yeah. Uh, Brittany, we have wireframe podcast. Yeah, Adobe has a wireframe podcast and it's kind of how UX affects real life people in real life jobs. So like they have one on Five Mile Island and how the um, nuclear meltdown could have been stopped with better UX. Mm -hmm. There's one about like the Hawaii had a, I don't remember if it was an earthquake or a volcano warning that went off that like could have been solved with better UX. So each episode has like a theme and a story that they tell about something that happened in real life that could have been better with just designing better. Mm-hmm. So it's That's a really incredible. cool, really well done podcast. Good music. It's really good. So. <laughs> My other pick he's got up there is a uh, sack boy. It is a PlayStation five game. Um, we got it just before Christmas and we played it all through Christmas with our kids. And it is just the cutest, funnest little game. It is so fun. You can play multiplayer and you can punch each other. Although <laughs> it's not recommended, <laughs> but our kids love beating each other over the head and playing together. I don't know. It's fun. That's awesome. I, uh, I would totally play it, but that's the one console we don't have. Yeah, not yet. When everybody gets access to it. Um, so the last pick is my pick for Figma conference. Um, so config.figma.com. They're running a global uh, design conference. And right now they're looking for speakers. So if you mm-hmm. click the call for speakers button, it will take you out to the, the session eyes and you can uh, put your CFP in or CFS. I think CFS is probably more correct. Um, absolutely wonderful. I loved having you ladies on. I really appreciate it. We have to do this again. I, I hope we can make it happen. That was so great. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you so for joining us. Thank you. Yeah.